So we are still pre-picking a new topic, but we're going to go out week to week. And there was something that we spoke about last week that I think should be elaborated because it's extremely important to get it properly. And it's connected to the Parsha of the week. It's actually a very interesting topic, and maybe a lot of time could be spent on this topic. But it's a very mystical topic, so if you don't know how to make it relevant, it becomes only important or interesting for people that are into the mystical worlds. There is something that's called the Merkava. The Merkava. The word Merkava means a chariot. Obviously, it goes without saying that mm-hmm. since God is not physical, God doesn't have any semblance to anything physical, Hashem has no form. So all of these terms may never be taken literally. We not say, God forbid, it's like almost like the worst thing. But the Torah uses certain examples for us to use as trying to create a certain understanding of a spiritual counterpart to the physical chariot. So let me speak about a chariot. A chariot is a vehicle that is used by you to get from point A to point B. Like a home is a place for you to live in and a chariot, which would mean a fancy, kingly, noble car is a, is a means of transportation. And there is something called a divine chariot, Merkava. And there's a lot written on it and it's really fascinating. I mean, if a person is beginning, coming from a place where they don't believe and they have no education, if you simply open up Tanakh and you read, let's say, Yecheskel, you'll think that a UFO landed somewhere. Like, it's fascinating how they're, they're describing an image, a vision of, I mean, I just, Bikitsur, we're speaking about when you're coming from where you are, going towards the chariot, the outermost part of the chariot is Klippa which means that it's manifesting in terror and in darkness and in storms and whirlwinds. And you have to get through that to get to the inner. And when you get into the inner, there's a description of four beings and each being has four faces. There's a lion, there's an ox, there's an eagle, there's a person. These are beings that are carrying the chariot like wheels to the chariot. And then on the chariot is is godliness. The first one that saw the chariot and made a record of it was Yeshayahu. And his description of the chariot is going to be read this week in the Haftarah, being that we read about the giving of the Torah. When God gave us the Torah, it wasn't just an information moment. We actually experienced godliness and part of that experience is that every Jew saw the Merkava these words were not used nothing was written about it until many years later Yeshayo a great prophet saw the Merkava and he wrote about the Merkava <coughs> many years after that after the first temple was destroyed and there was a prophet called Yecheskel he also was exiled into Babel while he was in Babel he had an outer bodily experience that he writes about. How an angel came, the angel grabbed him by his hair, it's a little bit aggressive, and took him into Israel. And he was shown the third temple. 
So part of that nevuah is a description of the third base amigdash, which is very difficult to understand to the point, everything is written. When we built the second temple, after the prophecy, we were trying to follow along and we didn't get it. Some parts we got, some parts we didn't. No one fully understood it yet. When Mashiach is going to come and the third temple is going to be built, or perhaps, like I'm suggesting, let's build a second temple. But when the third temple is going to be built, we're going to understand exactly that prophecy. He also wrote about the Merkava, and his description of the Merkava is a lot more elaborate. It's like, wow. I remember in Brazil, there was someone, a lawyer, smart person, told me, UFOs. UFOs, and, and because it's like, it's very, uh, it's like fascinating. It's extraordinary. But it's it's more or less under this framework of there there being something in the outermost part that that is that is disconnected, that is dark, that is terrifying. And then as you get closer, you get closer to godliness. You have again, you have these four creatures, and their faces metamorphous. The Ramam actually writes that there isn't a lion and an ox and an eagle and a person. He writes that when you look at a person within the human countenance, you can see different animals. And when I looked at the Rebbe, when he taught Torah, he was a lion. Since I'm a kid, I always knew that he, Mamash, was a lion. Certain people appear to you in certain ways. They say that pet owners, I don't know if the pet begins to look like the master. I think it's the other way around, is that the person looks like the dog. And you can, and you can I'm not insulting anyone with with Kalavim and Chamoirim, but there's a certain... So I'm just saying that the Rambam writes that it would, they would, there's no lion there, but there are different types of human, so to say, human faces. One looks lion-like. So you have the lion, the ox, the eagle. I, I don't want to have the, the bush look like an eagle. Mamish. And Taka, he represents Rome. It fits. Once you hear these associations, at least in me, it's terrible because you're stuck with it. It's like stargazers. Once they say, look, this connected to that, or once a good psychologist tells you, you see, you did this and you did that, and they make a connection, <clears throat> you're trapped forever in that connection. So and then we had Zechariah, many years later, wrote another, wrote about another Merkava. So we have actually the Merkava written about three times. We read the Haftarit of Yeshayo on this week's Parsha because Mount Sinai, we saw that. And, and I want to speak about the Merkava, and I want to, come back to something that we touched upon last week, which is very important. But let me begin with the story. Just about the concept of a Merkava. What does it mean? What does it mean? Why does God need it? Why does God need it? So here, here is just one different type of Merkava to better understand the original Merkava. The Baal Shem Tev had a son and a daughter. When the Baal Shem Tev passed away, his son became a successor. Be'emes, I'm telling you words, I don't know what, what, what exactly this is referring to. There are certain manuscripts that were passed down from one tzaddik to another tzaddik. These are private manuscripts. Something there must be very important to know by only one person. And the holder of these manuscripts becomes the spiritual leader of the generation. We know that there were four Bashems. Rabbi Yisrael was the final one. And we know a lot about these manuscripts. A lot. We know that Adam Balshem, the, the Balshem before the Yisrael Balshem Toiv, had manuscripts and he gave it to a son. 
And after he met Yisrael Baal Shem Tev, he realized that Yisrael should be his successor, and he took it away from his son. So if you think about, you know, daddy issues that this guy had, his father <laughs> took it away and gave it to a stranger. The Baal Shem Tev did the same thing. The Baal Shem Tev had, first of all, the Baal Shem Tev's style of leadership was that his house was open to everyone. There were many, many people that had equal access to the Baal Shem Tev. He did not differentiate between a tzaddik, between a non-tzaddik, between a scholar, between a non-scholar. Not all tzaddikim were that way. Everyone who wanted, you would push it, you would walk, and many people here went to Mezhebush. It was a small shul. I think Sol is bigger than them. It's a small little base madrash. The Baal Shem Tev was there. A man, who, if you walked in there and he was there, you walked over to him and you spoke to him. That's great. However, the Baal Shem Tev had 60 Talmidim, to the exclusion of all others, who were in his mind considered big tzaddikim, and it was gifted to him by God, the fact that he had those 60. And he used to quote, for those of us who say Kriya Shema before we go to sleep, something is better than nothing, saying Shema is amazing, but there's elaborate Kriya Shema Shalamita, and we mentioned concerning King Solomon, Shishim Gebayim, that King Solomon had 60 Gebayim that were surrounding his bed. It was not what you think, he didn't have 60 armed guards in his room, uh, but but people of great spiritual stature get into great spiritual danger and they need to have protectors. And their protectors don't necessarily need to be greater than them, but they need to have great people, like warriors. Shlomo HaMelech had 60. The Baal Shem Tev used to speak about the fact that he had 60. We don't know who all the 60 are, but someone put together a list of over 30 from other stories that they must have been, some of them were revealed, some of them were hidden. The Magad of Mezrich, who became his successor, actually had, a, first of all, a very different leader, uh, way of, of, of leadership. You, no one had access to him. No one. He chose 120 Talmidim, which is Pishnayim of the Baal Shem Tev, and he quoted that which Eliyahu Hanavi told Elisha, if you know Nach, that Eliyahu Novi was going up to the heavens in this chariot in the Merkava. And, and Elisha asked him to be blessed with the spirit of Ruchnius like you. So Eliyahu Novi told the student, if you will see me ascending on high, then you will get double my power. Pishnaim. Double of 60 is 120. The Magad of Mezrich had 120 Talmidim, but let me tell you something. The Baal Shem Tev had thousands of people that interacted with him. The Magid only had 120 people. If we would be living then, we would not be able even to talk to him. We can maybe look at him, Davin, in the Beis Medrash. If you wanted to get to the Magid, you needed to go through one of the 120. He was a very exclusive Rebbe. And he is not the only one. I want you to know that even in the world of Chabad, this was copied sometimes. Some of our Rebbes were very exclusive. A woman's class. Not every tzaddik interacted with women. The Rebbe, the Rebbe was a big exception. Big. It began with the Friedrich Rebbe. We're coming off your Shvat. I'm just saying, just to add a little thing about the women. That can no... Other, even in the world of Chabad, no one marked the yard sites of of of, of tzidkaniyos in a public forum. It was probably marked privately. It was never done. The Friedek Rebbe was the first one. The whole Maimir Basalagani was to mark the day of passing of his grandmother, and Yud Gimel Shvat for his mm-hmm. mother never existed before. 
it's a, it's a new thing for whatever reason, and now we became accustomed to it. I know that the world right now, rightfully so, we marked the yard site of Rachel Imenu. Um, these are exceptions. I'm sure this always existed. But in any culture, the amount of Hilulas, yard sites that are marked, look, they're marked primarily for men. I promise you, equal men and women in being holy people, mamish. But coming back over here, the 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 the, the, the Magen interacted with 120 men, men students, and that's it. The Magen was not meant to be his successor. The Balshemtiv had already chosen a successor, not a son, someone by the name of Yaakov Yosef of Pulnaa. He was one of the only people that recorded some of the teachings of the Balshemtiv. Most of it is not recorded in a formal way by a great student. He gave him those those writings. The Magid came to him at the end of his life. The Magid was a physical cripple. He needed to walk with two with two crutches. The Magid was a great Talmudist. The Magid was a student by 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 someone who's known as the author of the Pinei Yehoshua. For your sons in yeshiva, he's like wow. He's like a big Talmudic commentator that we learn when you get advanced, you learn it. He was a student from that author. And the Pnei Yeshua was no chassid, he was not a misnagid, but he came to believe that the Baal Shem Tev has a power to heal people, miraculously. The Magad had an ailment that without a miracle he would not be healed. He was a cripple. Mamash, one leg was bigger than the other, he needed to. He, so the Pnei Yeshua told his student, go to the Baal Shem Tev. we're not chassidim, he's going to make a miracle for you. He went to the Baal Shem Tev. the Baal Shem Tev made no miracle, but he kept him there. And the Pnei Yeshua lost his master student, which was difficult, and he still did not become a Misnagid. That's to his greatness. He was a great man. When the Baal Shem Tev met the Magid, the Baal Shem Tev decided at some point the Magid will become my successor. He went to the Yaakov Yosef of Pulna, and he asked, I want all of those writings back. This is all in private. No one knew about this. He gave it back to him. He gave it to the Magid. The Baal Shem Tev, by his passing, did not write that the Magad should be a successor. When the Baal Shem Tev passed away at the Levaya, they decided that his son will become a successor. For one year, Tzvi was the leader of the whole Hasidic movement. And on the yard site, these are holy people. So the way you make a tish is that you have the tzaddik sitting at the head of the table, wearing a special Jewish garb. The, 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 the Tzvi says that my father just came to me and he told me that the entire Shechina and the Merkava and the heavenly parliament is moving over to the Magid. And he took off his shtraimel, he took off his coat, the Magid stood up and they changed places, they changed garbs and the Magid sat down there and he became the leader until the end of his life. Rabbi Yaakov Yosef of Pona, after the story, asked the Magid, why did you merit and not I? Why did you merit? merit. He didn't go to the Balshemtov. What do you mean? Oh, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef was the one that was supposed to be his leader. Oh, the son. Not the son, the other one. There was a Talmud called Yaakov Yosef, oh. whom he gave the Ktavim. Oh. Okay. So this is what I told him. I just I know I shared the story. It's such a good story. The Balshemtov had an office. In the office, there was a chandelier which was something that was a, a sign of affluence, which is something that everyone should have. 
This is not affluence. This is moderation. I'm not saying this in any <laughs> negative way at all. But in the in the world of old, wealthy people had hanging chandeliers. Most people had a whatever a candlestick. He had a big chandelier in a little office. So the Magad told Rabbi Yaakov Yosef, "Do you know why our teacher had the chandelier? Like like he's asking, why did you become?" He said, "No." He says, "Do you know what the Balshemtiv did every Friday?" He says, "No." So this is what he told him. The Balshemtiv went to the mikvah whenever he did at a certain time Friday afternoon. He would come back to his office and he would lock the door, and he would be alone for a small amount of time. And the Magad became very curious, for right or for wrong, he hid in his room. When the Balshemtiv came back, the Balshemtiv did not know the Magad is there. He had two t- towels, and he would tie one end to his wrist and the other end to the chandelier in a way that it was basically suspended from his hands. And when he will lose consciousness, which he did, he would remain standing suspended by his hands. That's why he had the chandelier. And the Magad in this hiding place is watching the Baal do this. It's getting spooky. And he's beginning to do whatever it is that he was doing to have a very lofty spiritual experience, which would also mean that he would completely lose consciousness. And at some point, the Baal stops and he says in Yiddish, someone is in the room. And the Magad came out from under the table, from behind the closet. And he says, Rebbe, I apologize. And he was running to, out. And the Balshemtiv very forcefully told him, "You are not allowed to leave. It's too late." The Balshemtiv told him to get two other towels and to bind himself to the chandelier. And the Magad, the story is, the Magad told him that we ascended together, and it was during that journey that I was notified that I will become a successor. I'm saying the story just to go back that that Svi, the son of the Balshemtiv, says. When, when we go to a Rebbe, we understand that the Tzaddik is the Merkava for godliness in this world. And I want to speak about Merkava. Why does God need a Merkava? Why does God need a Merkava? Isn't God everywhere? Isn't God everywhere? Or, or let me word it, let me just word this question from another angle. There was, there was a woman that many people might know. Um, prior to becoming religious, she was a she was a journalist and she was a successful one in the world out there. She was, I think, one of the main TV stations in America, ABC, NBC, whatever it is. She she, she was a hush of a successful woman, and she was starting to get close to Yiddishkeit, and she had an audience with the Rebbe in the 1980s, which was rare. And she quotes, she repeats some of her questions. She did not go there as a as a chassid. She went in there to interview the Rebbe. So she asked the Rebbe. Don't, don't you find it strange that prior to you davening Shmona Esrei, you take three steps back and three steps front? Isn't it silly? These are her words. And she says from all of the questions she asked the Rebbe, the Rebbe responded by mamish laughing. The Rebbe had a hearty laugh at the question. That was the end of that. So I want to know the answer. How do you verbalize the answer? Like, we're talking to God, we believe that God is everywhere, because the Emma says, God is everywhere. I'm making my effort, closing my eyes, I'm looking in my sit, that I'm davening Shmonet, why am I taking three steps back and three steps forward? Bit- aren't you going down in Kedusha to rise up? Why would we go down in Kedusha? Make room. Okay. But isn't God here already? 
Yes, he is there, but is he inside of you? Okay. <coughs> so then the, the a could that has to be, this has to be verbalized and understood. The three steps you nullify yourself. How does it nullify? Doesn't not, bowing down nullifies. Taking steps doesn't nullify. Walking out of a space means creating space that I get. Some people take up all the space, and only when they leave, I'm high in their space. <laughs> you go back, then you get closer to Hashem. Why, why would I have to go back? You, you get closer to Hashem. Yeah, yeah, get closer. Why do you have to walk back? That's why I'm saying it. You, you nullify yourself. Okay, so, you let, so let me tell you, the words that Hasidus uses is not about nullification. Bittul yeah. is manifest in the bowing movement, putting the head down. Taking, walking out, walking out is that sometimes I'm invading your space and walking back is an action that represents ideally a movement that I'm making to give something else, someone else more space. Now, let me say like this. There isn't only one truth. That's extremely important. There isn't only one truth. There is a truth that ain't oid movadai which is absolutely true. If that would be the only truth, then nothing that I'm saying now would work. Enoid Malvadi means that there's nothing other than God. Enoid Malvadi means that there actually isn't even a world. And if there is a world, God is filling up the entire world. God is everywhere. God is everywhere. Physically, emotionally, mentally, God is everywhere. Most people, unless you are a perfect tzaddik, you don't live with that truth. And no matter how many times you say the words, Enoid Movadoi, and guys can get together and say, Lachayim, and get Freilach, uh, and dance, and Enoid Movadoi, you can become blue in your face. It's not your truth. It doesn't help. Bakhlal, I came to the understanding that any statement that you make many times is an indication that you're not there yet. You would like to be there. You believe in it somewhere, but it's not you. And you think that by saying it, could be it works. Or if someone tells you how much they like you again and again and again and again, it means that they don't like you. That's my cloud. <laughs> they would, they theoretically would, they theoretically are there. So they repeat it. They repeat it. And they feel for that, they're working on it. Okay, good. Which is also good. At least they, they know where they want to get. In America, you tell your kid, I love you. Why? Because people here hate their kids. Because they want to be free. I don't know what it is. Don't think that our grandparents didn't say it. They didn't, they didn't love one iota less. It's such a shtus. It has to be said every now and then, of course. But the way, oh, I said I love you, and now we can die in peace. Oh, last thing I told you. Like, like well, he's not a shkaitan. I don't know if that's true. Okay, here we go. I like some pushback. I really don't know. Like, I tried to, I don't think I considering it. Okay. I really don't. Which part of it? sometimes we get lost in ourselves, and we realize that we've, disconnected because we're, we're people and so we need to remind them that just because I'm in my own world it doesn't mean I'm not paying attention to you or I don't love you. Actually you just confirmed what I said. In other words it, it, it's coming because of a disconnection. Exactly what I'm saying. You're just saying I agree with that. That sometimes saying it works. Saying it reconnects. I'm arguing that if saying it works you would say it once. No, 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 no. I'm getting to that. I'm fine. Oh, oh, oh. okay. So the point is Hasidus has this theme based on the Pasuk and Tehillim where it says, Kale Deyoy Sashem, which means God is a God of many perspectives. Das is like a perspective. 
Keldeas Hashem is such a good statement and Hasidah speaks about it because most people, they think that there's the real perspective. Either you're in tune with the real perspective or you're off. And the tikkun is you got to get into the real. You got you to you readjust. Well, I'm sure that people could have wrong perspectives. But in the right, there isn't only one. That's very important. Hasidah says there's das elyon, das tachten. Das elyon is that from God's innermost perspective, there is only God. That's true. From a created being perspective, there is God and me. Even if you put God first, I am. And if that is where I'm at, I can sing and dance like a chassid, enoid mulvade, until I'm blue, and nothing changed. Only me eluding myself to imagine that I am who I'm not. There are great people that actually experience for a moment enoid mulvade. When they had that experience, they died. Which makes sense, because if they're not, if you really chap that you're not, then you're not. One of our Rabbeim, I forgot which Rebbe, maybe the Rebbe Rashab, was speaking about the idea that how much your mind and body, you know, mind-body connection, the, the hot thing today, he was speaking about a professor who learned how the leg works, all of the sinews and all of the ligaments. And then after understanding it, Gavaldik, there was one part that he didn't realize, he's at Akasha. How does it work? And when he was stuck in not understanding the mechanics, he became paralyzed. You don't understand, you're an autopilot, is one thing. The moment you're beginning to hop something, you, once you're getting it, and you're connecting to it, and you see how it works, and all of a sudden, when you don't see how it works, it was done. How great is that? So I want to come back over here. There is many levels of understanding. There's many, le- there's many perspectives. And another than view, when they, re- when they really, not thought the words, when they experienced they died. God doesn't want us to die. God doesn't even want us to be on that level, certainly not continuously. It's not black and white. We go towards it, and then we go away from it. And both the movement towards and the movement from is all in the realm of Kedusha. Going away from that perspective, having a perspective that there is a me, doesn't make you farther from God one iota. That's very important. It's not better or worse. It's different perspectives. Hasidus spends a lot of ink by describing that the lower perspective has a lot of upsides to the higher perspective. From God's perspective. In other words, when Hashem is interacting with beings that don't even feel self, God is really not having a relationship with anyone because you don't exist. If from his perspective you don't exist, and from your perspective you don't exist, so then it's just God, which is beautiful, but God made the world because God wanted for there to be something other than him. For that to exist, we actually must be aware of self. Not in an unholy way, not in a selfish way, but the lower perspective is that there is a God and there is a me, is emes. It's a truth. It's not the only truth, but it's a truth. That's a Ratzi V'shoivinah. In the higher perspective, there is no Merkava. Because God is already everywhere. He doesn't have to be carried from one place to the other. From the lower perspective, if there's God and me, and the truth is halavai, 
by most of us, it's me and God. Well, the more the me, the less the God, or the less space there is for God. So I have to make space for God. A tzaddik doesn't incorporate God in the tzaddik's life. If anything, the tzaddik incorporates himself or herself in God's life. We're not on that level. We have to, I have a life, it's my life. And I want to bring more Yiddishkeit into my life. I want to bring more Kedusha into my life. That's a much lower level, but that's my truth. Now, if I want to bring God into my life, I have to make room for God. I have to make an effort to make room for God. And that is done before Shemana Esri by taking three steps back. Let me give God some space. Like we know in any other relationship, if you don't allow space for the other, they won't be there because they can't. Now, God is almighty. If God wanted, he can push you out, but that's not the type of relationship that he wants. Might be the type of relationship that you want. God doesn't want it. God wants to be given the space. If God will be given the space, he's automatically going to come. But after you go back, you... Bowing down. That's something else. That's something that's bittel. But before the bittel, I'm 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 acknowledging <clears throat> that I don't live in the world of Enoid Movadai, which is a truth which could be the objective pure truth. It's not my truth, and saying the words doesn't help. Words are only levushim. It's not the emis by me. That was just my muscle before. It can help us get there. It can help us get there. But just because it was said, it doesn't mean it's true. And many times people repeat it again, it's because they're trying to convince themselves that it's true. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. Who does that? An angry person. But I'm not angry is different than I love you. Sometimes. Not always. Not always. And I don't mind being wrong. Gesund to hate. Now here's, 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 here's the chab. Once, once we acknowledge that there's two perspectives, generally, there's a lower perspective and a higher perspective. The only way I stand a chance of getting closer to the higher perspective is by acknowledging that I am in the lower perspective. Most people meet God in the heavens, which is a terrible mistake. Most people do that. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I mean, every person has a heaven. You know, there's the lower self and the higher self. And we don't invite God into our world. All we do is, is like when uh, you go to shul, you elevate yourself. And, and in your elevated state, you are meeting God, which is great. A lot better than never meeting God. But when you keep on doing that, what you have to realize is that you are, you are never allowing God to come into your world, ever. You have to make an effort not to fall in this trap. Because what do we do? I'm saying, you go to shul, we daven, we learn, we do mitzvahs, and we, we, we are connected when we're doing a mitzvah. That's a point of, that's the greatest connection. But when we're davening, when we're learning, when we're doing a mitzvah, then I'm, 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 a, I'm a tzaddik, you understand? I'm, I'm godlike, I'm angelic, I'm great, I'm elevated. And yeah, as an elevated being, I'm connected to God, which is wonderful. But that doesn't at all, at all, bring God into my lower self. 
it almost develops something which everyone has to deal with, that we become a dual personality. Where am I at? I'm the Jew in shul, and I'm the Jew in Vegas. Who am I? Where am I? I, I went to a cheder of great people, not Lubavitch, Hasidim, and they, in principle, they, they wanted people to have a non-Jewish name that they use when they go to work. So you, you don't be shocked when you go out to the world, you see uh, Hungarians, very good, great Jews, great. But in, in the base Medrash, Chaim Moshe, and over there, Jimmy. And their shita is, is that why would I use a holy name out there in the world? Tell you more than that. I was told that the same pencil that I used to write down on the Gemara, when I learned math, another pencil. In other words, a keli that's used for Kedusha, it's a certain approach. And Chabad Hasidis, it goes against it. We, we, are, we, are, we are triggered by it because of this Nakoda. Because that basically is saying that God made me with two souls. When I'm in my godly soul mode, then I'm Chaim Moshe with a holy pencil. And then when I'm in my Jimmy mode, then I'm a different person and I have a different pencil. And that, that's never bringing together both sides of me. I'll be a, a schizophrenic, which is very unhealthy. And or in these words, I'm not inviting God into my world. So there's a paradox. If you invite God into your world, it might not be so much your world anymore. There's a, there, no, there is a place in your world, in your lower self to meet God. For that, you need a Merkava. That is where you need a Merkava. God in your higher reality doesn't need a Merkava. Because when I'm going up to meet God, God is not traveling anywhere. I'm traveling. I got there. However, I got there. When I go to God, there is no Merkava. The Merkava is needed when I want to bring God into my reality. So there has to be a vehicle that I'm making for God, for God to travel all the way down to me. And God wants to travel down all the way to me. That's the beauty. God doesn't only want for me to go to him. God wants for me to invite him into my lower world. Now, there are limits to a lower world, 100%. But within the accepted limits, there is still the higher person and the lower person. You know, there's the way a person is. Everyone has that, whatever it is for you, your ruchni is a place. And then there is your not ruchni is a place. Yes. So the Merkava is descending instead of ascending? Shkoyach. The whole purpose of a Merkava is in order to bring God down into a lower reality. And there's many consequences of this idea. Number one, in the earlier generations, let's speak specifically about the Jews in Sinai, no Merkava is recorded. We don't have these words in the Torah about a Merkava because what happened when God gave the Torah at that moment, we became non-existent. We actually died. We went up. Even though it says God came down, we were holy people. We were living off the manna. You don't need a Merkava for that. As the time went on, that's why the later Merkavas are more elaborate. The lower of a reality that people lived in, the greater the need of a Merkava, not for me to ascend. Because when I ascend, I'm going to get to that in a moment. When I ascend, what I do is, when you go up, you know what you do? Naturally, you get rid of weight. Go upstairs. If you're going to have luggage, you'll drop it. When we are in the going up mode, we drop our lower self. It's still there. It's going to meet us when we come back down. Nothing was rectified. Zero. So before you go up, you have to bring Kedusha down to you. That refines. 
The Merkava is a one-way street. And then, and, then, and then when you later elevate yourself, you're taking all of you up. With the same Merkava? Or is there something happen to the Merkava energy of itself? Is it a thing? What is it? I like the question. Don't answer the question. Yeah, answering the question will ruin it. But just use these words that the Magid said, or the Tzvi said, you know, that God is trying to come into this world. He needs a vehicle to come into the lower world. So think about a tzaddik is a perfect vehicle. Why is a tzaddik a perfect vehicle? Because a tzaddik is, is godly. A tzaddik doesn't have the lower self. The tzaddik does not have the lower self. But the tzaddik is a human being whom people like us can relate to. So how does godliness make its way down even to people like us through the tzaddik? Is it like the horses of last week? Correct. But the horses of, 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 of Torah. And I, oh my, 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 the point is, is that prior to me elevating myself, mm-hmm. I have to figure out how to bring God down into my world. So we create the Merkava? We create the Merkava by making space for God in our, in our world while we are still grounded in that lower part of us. We create space for God and God comes the Derech Mamela. Because since from God's perspective, he is everywhere anyways, he's every there anyways, when I make space for him, so then I'm completely aligned with God. I'm saying that even in this lowest of my realities, while I'm here, I would like God to manifest. I want, I, I want to make room for God. Now, how do you do this? Leave the question open. Just get used to the concept. I'm trying just to, to share that most people, I think, whenever they think about connecting to God, they see themselves as going up. I'm elevating myself. And that's a beautiful thing. But that's very incomplete. It's very uh, immature. Because, again, because, because of course I have a godly soul. I know that. And as we get older, it's easier for us to go into that zone. But what about my other part? Nothing. Stayed the same way. Nothing changed. Yeah. So, I mean, I missed the beginning, so I'm sorry if you said this, but it almost seems like we have to descend our whole lives. Like like being in this physical world means descending, inviting God down, and then when we're done, I guess then we ascend. I mean, does that make sense? Like, do yeah. we ever ascend before? Like, no. Shabbos, Let, like, Shabbos, Shabbos more than a weekday. And yeah, and when you go to Eretz Yisrael more than when you live in Chutzlaritz. But that's, that's not... That's not daily. That's not daily. The, the opposite. The opposite is to remain here in a certain framework, there has to be, if not, and to figure out how to make space in this world for God to manifest. Now, God sometimes manifests whether we make space or not. But I would argue that when you have a person that's telling you the whole time that they saw real Hashgacha Pratis, that's a person that knows somehow how to make space for God in this world. That's why physical miracles happen. It's to, it, because there's room for God in their world. Making space, yeah. So, how is the Merkava is a part of the Ratzov That's the first question. Merkava, in my understanding, even though it was in the Merkava, lightnings that was coming and going, but the way the Alter Rebbe explains the Merkava, it's primarily a vehicle that allows God to come down into this world. So it's not a part of the Ratzov process? There is always Ratzov Every movement means Ratzov Okay, so the Ratzov you say you go back to the place. 
the more you ascend, the shov is in a lower, in a higher place. There is a... The opposite. The, uh, the opposite. Yeah, the shov is too. The opposite. The, even when people go up, you know, the, their Hasidus gives an example that when a stone falls off a, a, a wall, the stone that came from the highest part will fall the farthest. That means that people who are able to really connect their higher part to God, they have the potential of going down onto the lowest part. Adarab. So you want to be in the middle? No, we want to be able to really learn how to swing well. The, the greater the swing, now there comes a point, what is that called? The macro bipolar, yeah. <laughs> Stay away from that, My bipolar is, is scary, scary. But a little bit less than bipolar. A, a great tzaddikim, sometimes we're elated. A psychiatrist would say that they need to see, a, they need to take medication. And sometimes they were deeply depressed. They were, they were, they were, because they, they mamish knew how to rotsoi and how to go shuv. Hoping that the more you work on yourself, then when you fall, you don't fall as low. No, it's you're trying to minimize. You know what non-movement is? Death. Mm. Look at the monitor. It's like a pendulum. Or that we are, now, we have, to just, we have to be more mindful. We all have that in everything. I think when we're more mindful, the goal is not to be mindful, oh my God, to limit it. No. To control it, but then to make good swings. You know that, you know, you go, these, these swing rides, are the best rides. They go, oh, I'm a chayim. That, that is the batiyah. What if you ask Hashem, even in the lowest swing, then go the lowest, let me connect to you there. Exactly. Which is why, in other words, when everyone goes through tzadahs, many times people feel almost like God abandoned them. In this place, like this, how did this happen to me? So a person is at a very low place. When you make an effort to invite God into it, not take this away from me. So that's another, we naturally, it's hurting, get me out of here. No, God, I want you. I, I want you to come to me here. Show me. Even if you don't show me. Show me you in it. Show me you in it. That's it. That 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 is the that is the old. And for that, God needs a merkava. Because if you're not going to want for that to be, He'll never come down to you because you're too far away from Him. Mm-hmm. You're you're living in dark. God is light. It doesn't it's not a shidduch. So do we need all the animals as? See the animals. Now you get why animal. Animals is the lower part of creation, and in the if you just the numbers, it's seventy-five percent animals. Because it because it because it's bringing God in the lion in you and the ox in you. It's the eagle. Now they are talking the kings of their animal group, but it's a behemoth. It's a chaya. It's a bird. It's not a tzaddik. And then there's one tzaddik. There's always the one tzaddik there. Huh? There's no fish. Interesting. You said fish? I don't know why. That's a good kasha. Maybe because the world of the fish is still so spiritual, you don't need a merkava. Maybe the water world is a very spiritual world. Alma discasia. But your goddess. Yeah. So practically speaking, so like even when we're in a low place, inviting God in like prayer, like really like being honest and connecting and expressing our, you know, frustration, anger, whatever it is, and then thanking Hashem. But what does this look like on a, on a practical, like, you know, every day? Like, I just living a meaningful, purposeful life, connecting to ourselves so that we can connect to Hashem. Like, 
Is that what that means? Or? I think at least in the beginning, and we should know how to how to communicate this to our children. I know There's many applications. The main application is, is that when people are younger people, and they become more aware of like the yetsar toiv and the yetsar hara, and oh, I'm in my holy mode, like I'm I'm in shul, I'm kipper, and then I'm doing something that's not necessarily that holy. To be aware that God has to be found in both places equally. And if we only associate God to the higher reality, we are basically excluding God from a big part of our lives, or even worse, we are denying that we even have that part in our lives. And none of that serves anyone any benefit. These are important words. They, I think... It can change. The, it can change a lot. So I, I, I can speak about young yeshiva bachrim. So the goal of it all is to be connected to Hashem. That's something we have to communicate from the beginning. So what do you do when you have a person, and I'm sure the same in the girls in a different way, that he doesn't learn. He's not a learner. And and for many bachrim, aside of the fact that you want to please your parents, aside of all that, take all of that out. Just pleasing God. I want to be more connected to God. And that means that I have to spend two or three more years, miserable years, of pushing myself in a place where I'm not going to be successful. And had I appreciated the fact that if I were to go younger to work, I'm going to be bringing God into this world much more than the guy that's sitting in yeshiva. And there's value to that as far as our hashkafa, we have chasidus, as far as the emes is concerned, it will make a big difference in the choices that both the parents and that child will make and they'll be more productive people. I'm not saying to apply this on the 14 chas for shalom. I'm just saying... I know, I hear and, and that's a, that's a shift. Yeah. And all of it comes by God is found only in the heavens. No, God is found here if you make room for him. And that goes to everyone else in any other area. Some people know, ideally, I should have wanted to have that type of lifestyle. But I don't. It's not working. I have, let's say, a lifestyle that's more connected to the Gashmi. Good. Bring God into that. Not deal with the guilt and run away from that. That also sometimes elevate yourself. No one is taking away that part. We should always elevate ourselves at times. I'm saying Shabbos, Yom I think that's natural. That's easy. That's mamish easy relative to... Because when you bring God down into your lower self... It's almost like an intrusion. Like that's my me time. What do you do on your me time? Something connected to God. That, that is the goal. Much more meaningful than connecting to God in your God time. So the three steps back is take, um, giving space for Hashem. And then what's the three steps? When, when you take the three steps. And now, now I can meet God in the same place I was before. Because when you come back, you're in the same place. Because if I would take three steps forward without taking three steps back, that would mean that I'm meeting God on a forward. No. When I'm behind, God is not there. But I, because I have an ashama, I'm able to project myself forward, which is true. When I'm taking three back and three forward, I'm meeting God in my place. I'm not elevating myself to meet God. I'm making space for God in my lower state. That's where I'm talking to God. So why we tell Hashem, let me open my mouth so I can praise you? Because if we were to experience actually encountering God, no matter in which universe, it's overwhelming. I don't mean those words. I'm saying those words again and again and again to try to get there. 
if we were ever to merit, and we will all merit, to really encounter God on the lowest of levels, it's going to be such an overwhelming experience that we're going to lose our words. And when you lose your words, the first thing you should say is, I'm so overwhelmed, I can't talk. That's the first thing we tell God. So please give me the right words to seize this moment and to talk to you. And for that, I need your help also. How love I we get there? These are words that the most people are just words. We still own that. We have so much to tell God. We don't stop talking. When we really encounter God, you know, it, 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 the final in the Hasidic tradition, when you meet when you meet a Rebbe, you know, you don't speak to him in the audience. You write down before. You write down what you need, and he reads it. And the Rebbe that was so good in eye contact, the Rebbe more than everyone else, which is health, a sign of health. The Rebbe in Yechidus never looked at people. He looked at your note. I don't know what the Rebbe was doing. I just know that the practical reason why if you were to go into an audience with the Rebbe, you would not go in there verbally asking because in the presence of the Rebbe, everyone says that. You feel overwhelmed. And you lose your words. And you're there for two minutes and you waited who knows how long until next time. So Chaparain sees the moment prior to you being overwhelmed Write down what you want to ask, and then if something new comes to you, you can always add it. People lose. People people are lost. People lose the words. Because God is not our buddy. Even on the lowest level, in the most limited manifestation, an experience with God is, is meant to be, by default, overwhelming at first. Overwhelming. If we're not overwhelmed, it's not God. Yeah. Yeah, so I understand you know, when we're trying to convince ourselves that we need that additional, you know, convincing, so to speak. But going back to what Shoshana was saying about the community and that's our children, if they're not at, you know, if they're at a point where they need to hear it verbally from us, whether it's saying I love you. Then you have to say it. Many things I say is just a happen extreme. Let me, let me, but let me, let me, let me still stay on my side, even though I acknowledge that it's not 100%. If a child feels in his or her bones that the parent really loves them, they definitely will not need to hear it. And let me say the opposite. I know love is a feeling. If a parent does not have that feeling towards their child, even though feelings are hidden, on some level the child will feel it. And then when the child, when the parent in their in their in their in their mistake, I love you. They're creating confused people. Mm-hmm. They're teaching their children who cannot yet accept that their father or mother is lying to them. They're confusing them because they sense they're not loved. And the father is saying, "I love you." What do you do with that? Or even, "I'm proud of you." Is a really good example. Or or any or any or any other feeling. Now, everything has a balance. So what should a parent do if they don't love their child? What should they do? There's many levels to this. They don't love them on on the ideal level. Should they never tell the child, I love you? Absolutely not. But if the child is, if the parent is consciously or not trying to overcompensate something that they're not really giving their child, because they're unable to, because their mother ruined them. I don't care why. 
It's not about right or wrong. If they're unable to give something, verbalizing it is not what the child needs. And if it's not the emes, you're hurting them. And every other word that the parent says, they'll learn, they'll have a question mark on it. They'll get anxious when they're, and then when they'll be older, they won't be able to speak to the parent. They won't know why. Why can't I talk to my parent? Because they know that whatever is coming out of that mouth is not true. And the parent was just trying to be good with the child. I love you, I love you, I love you. Stop saying that. Do feel it. Feel it. Do. It's gonna it's gonna come, it's gonna express itself. The parent is exhausted. The kid wants something, the parent goes out of the way and they drive little things. They'll know that's that's telling your kid, at least in an externally, that I'm willing to sacrifice, which we all do, and we should do it more. We give up us for our children. That's the model. You wanna say it? Do it. Minimally. But it's still also. Shoshana, you agree with me? I just yeah. I need I need your approval over here. <laughs> Give a ruch Hashem. I feel much better. Okay. But it's still the word of the I we use. I love you. We satisfying ourselves more than we try to um, satisfy. Each other. Well, not every. If I you know, let's go, let's go, let's go. Ideally, we want to we want to satisfy our children's needs. I agree. A child has to feel that they're loved. All I, my point is. Is that I think when people are younger, they're too impressed with words. And some people are good orators and wow. And words are are, are fake. Mm-hmm. It's just like putting on a nice uh, garment. It's like you're making a nice house. It's not the emis. It's nice to have nice. But if it's not nice in there, all the niceness in the world will actually irritate you. Mm-hmm. Right? And the goyim was such a good thing, the, 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 the leprosy. You're trying to let the house at least be moida, that it stinks in here. Amachaya, at least emes. There's mold coming out of the walls. But if there's ruchnius dika mold and everything looks beautiful, it's very confusing to people. That's how you get confused. It's interesting. It's interesting. A lot of a lot of people have, let's say, okay, I'm going to use trauma. You know, it's like a trigger word for a lot of people. Or experiences that were too much for them. And they're like, no, nothing happened. Everything was fine. And... It's interesting, and I now that you're saying, I'm kind of making a connection. Like sometimes people have an experience that was too much for the nervous system, but the words were very different, so they almost can't even like discern what happened. Like, why is my nervous system overactivated? When I'm I heard saying... all these things, but I clearly have no capacity for things that are too much for me. I'm sorry. And 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 saying everything is good, everything 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 is good, everything is good is driving yourself mad. Say no. Something was not good for me then. It's not good. It's not. Words, words are great if words express the truth. When words mask this truth, oy gavalt. That's pre-Mashiach world. I'm thinking then everything is confusing. Mm-hmm. Nothing is aligned. Everything is off. So enoid malvade. I hear it by the guys. Enoid malvade. Shakran, liar, liar. What are you talking? What 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 are you talking about? Now, Shakran, the Torah says, yeah, from God's perspective, Einar Mulvadi. Now, just to conclude, there was a story with that Samach Tzedek, the third Rebbe, who was a great halachic authority. So many people came with Dine Torah. So it came out at the end, there was two people, two litigants. One loaned the other person money. So the other person owed it. And he basically told the Samach Tzedek, Mulvadi. There's no you, there's no me, there's no money. So the Samach Tzedek told him, okay, I'm going to take this nothing, he pointed to his body, and he pointed to a stick and that nothing, and whip with that nothing, and I want to hear how nothing does it feel. 
Because if you are going to shout ow, that means that you're, if you would be in the level of Einoid Movada, you would feel no pain. If you feel pain, then go pay the money. Make sense? Makes sense. Right. Okay, good. Adkan, yes. Thank you.